BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back to the Tom Hartman Program, broadcasting on commercial radio stations from coast to coast on Sirius XM all across the North American continent, on Pacifica stations across America, Europe, and Africa, on American Forces Radio and every U.S. military base in the world, and your electronic device via TuneIn, Progressive Voices, Tom Hartman app, and simulcast as television via Free Speech TV Network on Dish Network, DirecTV, and cable systems all over the country. <coughs> There's just a lot going on. First of all, what the hell is a populist anyway? And why does the media continue to call fascist Republicans and sellout Democrats populists? We'll get to that in just a moment. The Republican Party is hating on young parents and babies just to make Democrats look bad. And apparently they're fine with terrorism. Two amazing votes in the House of Representatives that, frankly, I thought would be at the top of the New York Times and the Washington Post. And I don't think either one of them even made the front page. I've got to tell you about those in a few moments. Are Republicans starting to see through the perpetual election lies and extremism? Maybe, maybe not. I'll tell you the details on that. And a crazy alert. Ron DeSantis' press secretary was duped by a fake story about a homophobic dog on International Day Against Homophobia and Transphobia and Biphobia. We'll get to that. Alex and Gill is going to drop by. She's got a brilliant new piece, I believe it was in the Washington Post, about how overturning Roe would be disastrous for women in the U.S. military. We will speak with her about it. And also, the January 6th committee is now investigating Capitol reconnaissance tours by Republican lawmakers. Is this treason or domestic terrorism or completely innocent? We'll discuss that, and along with conservative Charlie Sykes, suggesting that he has found the Achilles heel for the GOP. He won't be with us, but I have a story about it that I think is fascinating. Also, geeky science scientists have finally did a study to find out if taking 10,000 steps a day really matters to your health. The results are surprising. I'll tell you about that. But my opening rant today, uh, published over at HartmanReport.com, is, uh, is titled, What the Heck is a Populist Anyway? Uh, you know, I was watching MSNBC yesterday afternoon and the Chiron, uh, you know, that, that the words on the bottom of the screen, uh, they're called Chirons because the company that first came up with the technology to do that back 30 years ago was called Chiron. Um, and anyhow, the Chiron read, Populist Fetterman wins Pennsylvania primary. And it got me thinking, you know, I remember, what, a month ago when the French elections were happening? They were calling Marine Le Pen a populist. And I've seen Donald Trump called a populist over and over and over again in our media, as well as Bernie Sanders. So all of which raises the question, why do they use this single word, populist, to describe this whole spectrum of very different kinds of politicians? Is populist simply shorthand or pop news speak for media friendly? or for outrageous. I remember they used to call John McCain a, a populist or high profile politicians. Well, it turns out there's actually a definition of the word. In fact, there was a whole book written about it by Cass Mudd. It's called Populism, a very short introduction. And you know, this expert on, on this sort of thing uh, says that populism is a person who takes a political position or is part of a movement that reflects the needs and desires of the majority of the population, thus the word populism. 
and is opposed to the interests of an elite minority. And that opposition to the elite is as much a part of, the, of being identified as a populist as is the embrace of what the majority of Americans want. So here you got Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz, a couple of days ago, told a conservative Washington, D.C. newspaper, actually it might have been a, a month or so ago, he said, I'm a conservative, but I'm also a populist. I am deeply a populist. When it comes to populism, I think the most fundamental and important shift in the last decade in politics is that Republicans have become the, become the party of the working class. Right, so let me get this straight. The guy who votes, along with his entire political party, for trade deals that ship jobs overseas, who votes to raise taxes on working people while cutting taxes on the morbidly rich, who strongly opposes the right of working people to have a union in the workplace, who fights to keep the minimum wage at $7.25 an hour, who is heavily funded by right-wing billionaires and giant multinational corporations, and he supports big employers busting unions, this guy's a populist? There was literally nothing in that list I just read that is supported by the majority of Americans. Literally nothing. Ted Cruz is no populist. But claiming the mantle of populism is pretty much what the Republican Party has been doing ever since the Reagan Revolution. Newt Gingrich, uh, you know, came out and said, yeah, we should always, whenever we refer to Democrats, we should use the word elite. Why? Because to be a populist, you have to be opposed to elites. But the GOP, and, and, and you know, no matter how, long, how often they want to call Barbara Streisand an elite, uh, as if she were some sort of right-wing billionaire like Charles Koch, um, doesn't make it so, right? Or, or Jeff Bezos or whatever. Ain't so. The Republican Party is almost exclusively funded by giant corporations, foreign governments, and the morbidly rich. I mean, it doesn't get any more elite than that. So we need to, A, stop using the word populist to describe any Republican politician until or unless, unless they've renounced their party or the positions of their party. I mean, you've got a bunch of Republicans who pretend to have done that. Trump pretended to be a populist in the 2015 Republican primary when he called out Republicans during the debate and said that every single one of them wanted to end Social Security and Medicare. That's a populist position to, to be opposed to ending Social Security and Medicare. He said that all of, the, all of the Republicans on the stage wanted to cut taxes on the rich, you know, an elite position. He said that they want to suck up to giant corporations by keeping pay low and, and uh, keep a steady stream of imports from China coming. He even pretended to, talk the, you know, to walk the talk briefly by raising tariffs on a few random products coming out of China. But his populism, when he actually became president, was just as phony as Ted Cruz's. I mean, he borrowed over $2 trillion from the U.S. Treasury and handed it over to himself and his fellow billionaires while using the Defense Production Act to force workers, low-wage workers, back into meatpacking plants during a deadly pandemic at the, at the barrel of a gun. But there is a lot of real populism in America's history. Teddy Roosevelt was our first populist president in 1901. He was followed by his cousin Franklin Roosevelt as our nation's second populist president. FDR was reelected three times. He, became, he was president four different times because he did the will of the people. Harry Truman followed him, but Harry Truman didn't have that populist thing going because he started an unpopular war, the war in, in, uh, in Korea. Then came Eisenhower, Dwight Eisenhower. Dwight Eisenhower was a populist. He kept taxes on the rich at 91%. The majority of the population loved that. He continued FDR's work on the New Deal. He supported labor unions. He built a modern America for the middle class. This is Republican Dwight Eisenhower, the populist. Michael Hiltzik notes in his book on the New Deal that just one of those New Deal programs that FDR had started, that, that Eisenhower continued, quote, Produced, among many other projects, 1,000 miles of new and rebuilt airport runways, 651,000 miles of highway, 124,000 bridges, 8,000 parks, 18,000 playgrounds and athletic fields, 84,000 miles of drainage pipes, 69,000 highway light standards, 125,000 public buildings built, rebuilt, or expanded, 
and 41,300 schools. Uh, Eisenhower went on to add an additional 47,856 miles of freeway. I think you could argue that John Kennedy, Lyndon Johnson, Richard Nixon, Jerry Ford, Jimmy Carter, they were all populists because they were all governing, basically doing what the majority of the people of America wanted. It all changed, though, when Reagan came into office and started promoting this lie. He pretended he was a populist. By the way, all those presidents I just named, Nixon, I had Nixon and LBJ in that list. The two places where they failed on being populist was the Vietnam War, and they both suffered for it. So anyhow, along comes Reagan, and Reagan says, oh yeah, I'm a populist too. I'm gonna give them, I'm gonna strengthen the middle class by giving tax cuts to the job creators so they'll create more jobs. Trickle-down economics, supply-side economics, that's the thing. But it was a lie. And ever since Reagan, any time a Republican tries to pretend they're a populist, they're lying. What the Republicans are actually promoting, when you seriously look at it, is a system of government that merges state and government interests while holding political power by demonizing minorities and foreigners and the powerless. That is literally the dictionary definition of fascism. Republicans aren't populists, they're fascists. Now, on the Democratic side, we've got a problem, too. You've got people like, you know, here in Oregon, Kurt Schrader, who voted to blow up Joe Biden's Build Back Better and, and voted to block Medicare from negotiating drug prices. And he's a Democrat. He's not, clearly not a populist. He's not doing what the majority of people want. So what is he? I call him a sellout. I don't think Kurt Schrader's a fascist, but I think he's a sellout. If you look at the genuine populace in the Democratic Party, which is the Congressional Progressive Caucus, people like Ro Khanna and Mark Pocan and Bernie Sanders and Pramila Jayapal and Elizabeth Warren, they all want this list, I'm gonna, uh, this list of things. These are all things that are supported by more than half of Americans. Accessible, low-cost health care for all, free or low-cost college and trade school, modern, well-funded public schools, expanded Medicare and Medicaid, reduced greenhouse gas emissions, higher wages and the right to unionize, comprehensive immigration reform, tight regulation of banks and insurance companies, getting money and other forms of bribery out of politics, returning to Hamilton's American plan to bring our factories back home, paying for American renewal by appropriately taxing the morbidly rich, breaking up corporate monopolies that rip us off and give us terrible service and ending corporate personhood and, and returning those rights to the people. Those are populist positions. Where the hell did this word centrist come from? What makes Kurt Schrader a centrist? He's a sellout. So let's just be clear about this. Let's, I mean, you know, we can, we can simplify our language tremendously. You have populists, they're, you know, a good chunk, probably about half of the Democratic Party, maybe more, and it's growing. You have sellouts, there's some of them in the Democratic Party. And you have fascists, which the Republican Party is well populated by. Let's all encourage the media to start telling the truth about what's going on, eh? The whole piece, by the way, with all the links and everything else is over at HartmanReport.com. It's free. Omar in Herndon, Virginia. Hey, Omar, thanks for listening on the Tom Hartman app. What's up? Tom, you don't miss anything. You're the treasurer. You don't miss nothing. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Tom, I don't know if you're aware, but you're on D.C. and radio now. I don't know if you're aware of that. You're 104.7. Washington, D.C.? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. what's the station? What's the call letters? It's 104.7 FM. So is that We Act Radio? Did they pick up an FM signal there? Because they used to just be on the yeah. Internet. Ah, okay. No, no, this is this is a radio. This is a radio station. Oh, that's this great. Yeah, they they used to have an FM signal. A bunch of right wingers challenged it. It got taken down for a little while. They've got it back now. That's great to know. Thank you, Omar. Absolutely. Yeah, I just crank you up loud and let everybody on the road listen to the messenger. You know. That's um, great. But Tom, what I wanted to talk about is that um, I think the Democrat needs to take a lesson from John Furman's campaign. I'm going to tell you a story. I was driving from Virginia to Ohio, and I stopped in Breezewood Rest Station. And guess who I see? John Fetterman. They're standing. Wait a minute. Did you say John Fetterman? Yes. Yeah, yes. okay. The lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah who, the, the guy who, who's probably going to be the senator. Yeah. Exactly. But, but we, Democrats didn't take a lesson from his candidacy. He was sitting there, and he was having a discussion 
with somebody about uh, uh, Medicare. You know, it was just amazing. And I just saw him down there, and I shook his hand, and I moved on. But he had been planting the seed from day one. He's constantly talking to people, talking about kitchen sink issue tables. Yeah. You know, and that's what we have to go back to to galvanize our base. And and that's just something that we, we Democrats have to take a note of. But what I want to talk about, Tom, is that this out-of-placement theory, I think Fox News has blood on its hand. Because this incident that happened in Buffalo, which is very tragic, I, I blame Fox News because they popped up this information. I think it's time to start targeting the advertisers, people who advertise on Fox News. What oh, and that's already happening. I mean, there's there's very few advertisers left, for example, for some of their shows. The problem is that most of their money doesn't come from advertising. It comes from the, the what are called carriage fees. When cable networks carry television networks, they have to pay the television networks, and Fox gets most of its money from cable carriage fees. So they don't care. Well, but I mean, but this is equivalent of, of, of screaming fire in the movie theater. I, mean, I this agree. Is, this, is, this is inciting violence, and, I'm, and FCC has to step in because they cannot continue to press. They, they, they literally just displaying hate. The FCC on, on, doesn't, on the problem is the FCC doesn't regulate cable. Wow. Okay. Now, now you, I, I, frankly, I think that that could happen. I mean, you could build a case that cable is, you know, I mean, the whole idea of the FCC regulating the airwaves is that that's public space. You know, the, the radio frequency spectrum is publicly owned. And most cable operators are running their cable across public property that runs along roads and okay. rights of way and things like that, which was the rationale that was used for regulating the phone companies. So it should be possible. It's just going to take an act of Congress to make it happen. Thank you know, you, that has not happened to the best of my knowledge. Omar, thanks a lot for the call. Are the Republican voters starting to see through the perpetual election lies and extremism? And what about what happened in Congress? This is such a big deal. I don't understand why it's not at the top of the news. We'll be right back. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So this just blows my mind. Just, you know, just a moment ago, uh, Omar from Virginia called in and said, you know, Fox News has blood on their hands with regards to the Buffalo shooter. And then this story, uh, this is published over at uh, rawstory.com. The headline, Michigan teen hopes school massacre would help get Biden impeached. No, I'm not making this up. Uh, I'll just read it to you straight. A Michigan teenager who killed four classmates and injured seven other people hoped that his school massacre would lead to Joe Biden's impeachment. He wrote in his journal, quote, hopefully my shooting will cause Biden to get impeached. Sleepy effing Joe Biden will have to make an apology to the people. This is the kid whose parents are also in jail. His mother had written this love letter to Donald Trump when he was president. It's amazing. So what happened in the House of Representatives? Well, there was a bill to appropriate $28 million, which, you know, $28 million is like, what, eight minutes of spending by the federal government. It's not a lot of money. But, you know, when you've got baby formula, it is a lot of money, right? So 
to appropriate $28 million in emergency funds to buy baby formula from outside the country and bring it in and, and move it around and, and you know, make it available. 219 Democrats voted yes. Only 12 Republicans voted yes. 192 Republicans voted no. We don't want to help out young parents. Why is that not at the top of the New York Times and the Washington Post? What am I missing here? I mean, if Democrats had made it as insane a vote as that, and then at the same time, the Domestic Terrorism Prevention Act of 2022, this would share information about domestic terrorism among government departments and uh, combat white supremacism and neo-Nazi infiltration of the uniformed services and federal law enforcement. 203 Republicans voted no. 222 Democrats voted yes. When did terrorism become something that the Republicans were in favor of? What am I missing here? Extremism has now seized the GOP. There's no other way to say this. Racism, racial hatred, right-wing extremism, hate of government itself has seized one of our two major parties. And now they're going over to Hungary and a dictator, the Hungarian dictator, Viktor Orban, is telling them, oh yeah, we've, we've got to seize the media. It's just, this is incredible. Your call's up next, stick around. Actually, just a touch more on Republican extremism, then your call's next. So, a lot going on here. This new study, this is an amazing new study. The Republican Party, just, just, you know, white nationalism, extremism within the GOP, this new study that just came out. Uh, the Republican Party in the past year has fielded over 100 extremist candidates. This is the Institute for Research and Education on Human Rights. And they did this study looking at extremist Facebook uh, groups, these private groups. And what they found was that 875 legislators in all 50 states, constituting nearly 22% of all elected Republican lawmakers, identified as participating members of extremist groups. Uh, they identify 875 of them. This is just incredible. It's 21.74% of all Republican lawmakers in the country. The states with the highest percentage of extremist legislators were Alaska, Arkansas, Idaho, Montana, Washington, Minnesota, Maine, and Missouri. Excuse me. The report connects them with the surge in legislation seeking to limit access to the ballot, restrict the right of LGBTQ people, limit critical race theory and otherwise control what public school children can learn about America's legacy of racism, as well as severely restricting abortion rights in their states. Those are the criteria for extremism. Uh, the head of that study, uh, a fellow person by the name of Burkhout, said all of that stuff has been incubated in these networks. The report also identifies some 963 different pieces of legislation introduced in all 50 states and at the federal level that are what they describe as anti-human rights bills. They added, by the way, the researchers, the IREHR researchers added, quote, we believe the findings almost certainly understate the breadth of the problem. Meanwhile, Donald Trump's election lies, Maggie Haberman in the New York Times is saying Trump's uh, dangerous election lies might blow up the Pennsylvania Republicans, uh, blow up in their faces. I mean, he was impeached twice. He attempted to shake down Ukraine. He tried to incite a riot. He did incite a riot, in fact. And then, you know, a couple, uh, a couple of weeks ago, Trump came out in one of his speeches and he says, should they expunge the impeachment in the House? Well, you can't expunge an impeachment. Uh, first of all, he wasn't convicted, so you can't, you know, expunge a conviction. And secondly, because uh, it's not a criminal proceeding and it's part of the public record. But nonetheless, Oklahoma Republican, right-winger, hardcore crackpot, Mark Wayne Mullen, who is running for the U.S. Senate in Oklahoma, uh, proposed a, a, res a resolution in the House of Representatives declaring Trump's first impeachment is expunged. Yeah. And finally, a crazy alert. Ron DeSantis' press secretary this was the International Day Against Homophobia, Transphobia, and Biphobia. 
retweeted a photo, a photoshopped Washington Post page. It was complete, it was satire with this poofy looking dog saying, you know, uh, there's a homophobic dog. Hates gay people. Isn't that cool? Right. In a statement to uh, the Independent newspaper on Wednesday, the British newspaper, The Independent, she said, quote, the fact that the Washington Post felt the need to fact check a satirical meme says a lot about the credibility of the Washington Post and none of it good. Washington Post journalists would be happier if they stopped taking themselves and social media so seriously. <laughs> Maybe she should stop taking, you know, tweeted BS memes so seriously. Amazing. Andre in Chicago. Let's pick up your phone calls here. Andre in Chicago. Hey, Andre, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, how you feel today? Good, good. What's good, up? good. Uh, uh, thanks for asking. Uh, look, I want to say that, uh, first of all, many of these congressmen call themselves to be, be Catholic, but their behavior is totally opposite than what they claim their faith is. I think, I honestly think that there's more good people. No matter what we go through, I think there's more good people in the world than there are bad people. But we are rendered null and void because we don't speak out. And the only way you can counteract some things is to speak out. I think it was Dr. King that said uh, silence is consent. And it's not so much what happened to us, but it's the deafening silence behind the, the, the victimization that we experienced. So I think it's time for the evangelicals to speak out, the Catholics to speak out, and uh, talk to their kids as well. You know, initiate conversations with your kids about critical race theory. Initiate conversations with your kids about racism, hate, hate, hateism, and uh, white supremacy. Don't wait for kids to initiate the conversation to you. Monitor your kids' behavior. Monitor the company that your kids keep. And I think that we have a chance to ward this stuff off the path. So many times we've heard people say, well, I had no idea she was doing this. Well, I had no idea my son was this. It's like they're in the dark. You know, you spend your money buying your kids' cell phones and tablets and letting them go on the internet, then you got a right to monitor uh, what they're doing, and you can hear some things off the path. Uh, we talk about Joe Manchin. I think it's time for the Democratic Party to rebuild themselves and say the heck with Joe Manchin. We can't be bullied for the rest of our lives with Joe Manchin hanging over our head. Yeah. Be nice it's going to take another two years, I think. Yeah, well, it'd be nice if we can find somebody that could take a, a popular figure that could take a residence there in Virginia, West Virginia, and run against Joe Manchin and don't be afraid to lose. But he got to be called out. He can no longer walk this line between Democrat and Republican. And if he's taking uh, Democratic resources like Democratic money from the party or he's using Democratic volunteers, then they need to cease and desist with helping him uh, with these type of things. Uh, well, the, the immediate problem, though, is if Joe Manchin were to leave the Democratic Party, Chuck Schumer is no longer running the Senate. I mean, you know, there, there, there's a practical piece to this, Andre. But I, I mean, I, I get what you're saying, and there's a strong movement in West Virginia, as there is in Arizona with regard to Kirsten Cinema, to replace both of them in the primaries two years from now. And I, you know, I think they're, I, Manchin, I think, frankly, is probably going to retire. Although, who knows? I mean, power is very, very addictive. Thank you for saying that, but I, I just feel like we may have to, we, we got to start somewhere. We can no longer keep killing all these packages. We, you know, who knows if, if uh, Joe Biden will win in, in 24. We have to deal with these things uh, when we can and don't be afraid to take risks. Uh, Tom, do you know why it is, or have you heard anything about why Nancy Pelosi and any of these other congressmen that were threatened hadn't filed lawsuits against these people that threatened them. I don't know if it was Marjorie Taylor Greene or people that said, hang that's below. Why did they just let the Congress take over that instead of them filing personal suits against these people? Uh, I believe that would have made a difference if they filed some individual lawsuits against these people for threatening them like that. I think they're trying to let the legal process work, work its way through, Andre, and, and don't want to get in the middle of that. You know, if you filed a, a civil lawsuit like that, you would have discovery, and the discovery would have you know, you looking at the same witnesses that they're looking at, and it could be, it could get real messy. So my guess is that's yep. what's going on. So, uh, Andre, thanks a lot for the call. It's great to hear from you. Richard in Orlando. Hey, Richard, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. Um, I don't know if you know who Tim Snyder is. Sounds familiar. He's come up with, yeah, he's a, a history professor at Yale who's... Oh, Tim Snyder, a, a yeah. Pamphlet. Yeah, he's been on the yeah, show. Yeah, I've read, I've read two of his books, yeah. Okay, well, he's come up with a, a refinement on the populism idea. He calls it sado-populism, as sadomasochism. Mm -hmm. 
It's, and he says Thedo populism is the administration of pain, deliberate pain, like take away your health care, screw up your education, you know, like what is, all the red states, you know, how they right. all their right. government does nothing for them. Deny people but access then, to Medicaid. Yeah. Right. Then redirect that pain. You have a reservoir of pain and you redirect it toward the, the scapegoats of your choice. Hmm. Who's making the pain, right? What's what's the biggest problem? You know, oh, my God, they're coming to take away our white privilege. And it's anybody from, you know, is it George Soros or, or Nancy Pelosi, you know, so you can redirect that pain. And as long as you can fool the people and make them think that, you know, well, what Lyndon Johnson said, if you can convince the the lowest white man that he's better than the highest black man you can pick his pocket all day, all day long. long yep there you go richard you know, and so and, and and these guys are over in 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 hungary right now taking lessons on how to do this from a guy who pulled it off victor orban he's rigged his elections he's he's seized complete control of the media i mean it's 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 an ongoing process it, it really they have is no, you know they have no no policy, you know, but wouldn't somebody ask uh, McConnell what, what the policy was if they won back the, the Senate? And he said, well, we'll tell you when we get there, you know, they have no policy. So, yeah. Well, they, they, they do now. Rick Scott has laid out his 11-point plan, which includes uh, sunsetting Social Security and Medicare after five years and, and uh, raising taxes on the bottom half of American wage earners. So we'll see how that works out for them, Richard. We'll see. I'm not uh, optimistic about their chances. I think it's going to hurt them badly. Dan, thanks for the call, Richard. Uh, Joe in Seattle. Hey, Joe, what's on your mind today? Oh, you know, I've been thinking about populism, but now you've been talking about white supremacy and neo-Nazism, and I, I kind of want to speak on that now, too. Go for it. My first point was that the Democrats and the Republicans, a lot of them are uh, supporting this war in Ukraine, and uh, I feel like that's an anti-populist position because the majority of uh, American people are not supportive of the war. Not true. From, uh, not true. Look at any public opinion polling. It's from a Forbes article a few days ago, says Americans overwhelmingly don't want the U.S. to risk war with Russia and aiding Ukraine. Well, that's a completely that's different thing. But that's, the, that's literally the a completely different thing. You know, that's the whole point is let's not risk war with Russia. But that doesn't mean the majority of Americans don't want the United States giving military aid to Ukraine. The majority of Americans do. That's that's unambiguous, Joe. Do you think the majority of American people want $40 billion given to uh, uh, a proxy over there? I do. That supports I do. And they don't support neo-Nazis. The neo-Nazis are here in the United States. Do you know the connection between Azov and the neo-Nazi movement in the United States? I know that there are right-wingers in both countries, Joe. What does that have to do with anything? They're not right-wingers. They're supported. They're, out, they're openly oh, neo-Nazis. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you. There are people in both countries. There are people every—you know, Germany has no, no, neo-Nazis. No. Yeah. You know, Joe, I, you know, if you're going to try and spout about, Ru Russian right Putin's propaganda on my show, I'm going to cut you off. I'm talking about right-wing neo-Nazis that are supported by the U.S. government. Yeah. Joe, take it someplace else. Really, take it someplace else. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. 
remember, hey, a geeky science for you here. Scientists finally got around to doing a study on that 10,000 steps a day. I remember the, the big craze? I mean, it kind of came along with the Fitbit kind of stuff, you know, the wearables, maybe a decade or so, and everybody was like, yeah, I got to have 10,000 steps a day. 10,000 sounds like a nice round number. It turns out it came from a marketing strategy put together by a market, not a physician, but a marketing expert in Japan for a company that was selling these wearable, uh, you know, measure your footsteps things. And he just said, hey, let's do 10,000. It's a nice round number. Well, somebody put the science to it. They, they did a, this is just recently published in the Journal of the American Medical Association's Network Open Journal. They followed 2,110 middle-aged adults who had worn a step counting device beginning in 2005 or 2006 for at least 11 years. And they looked at how many steps they took and what their health outcomes were. And what they found was, A, any steps are good. 6,000 steps is better than 5,000. 5,000 is better than 4,000. No matter how many steps you take, there is a noticeable improvement. But it seems to peak out not at 10,000, but at around 7,000. 7,000 steps seems to be this important inflection point. And taking 7,000 steps a day reduced participants' chances of premature death by 50 to 70%. That's breathtaking. That's just absolutely breathtaking. So, anyway, picking up your phone calls. Got an awful lot going on here. David in San Francisco. Hey, David, what's on your mind? Hi, Tom. Uh, yeah, I was more interested in food issues. Uh, if the Ukrainian farmers don't get in a crop, probably this week. Mm. Uh, you know, summer wheat uh, needs planting, and it's a little late for that. Uh, if they don't get in a crop this year, the world is in some real trouble. And Ted Cruz, that guy is trying to play both sides against the middle. He did a little, must have been a speech on the floor of the Senate about the importance of supporting the Ukraine, but he didn't want to support the sanctions. And you know, if you think about corporate takeovers, you think about Republicans being able to crush a corporation and snap it up themselves, you would think that the Republicans would know how to crush Putin without a without even a whimper. Uh, you just pull it off and, and get down the road with the money. They've been doing that sort of stuff for years, but they don't want to help. So uh, there were two things in the news, you know, these uh, the stock market uh, collapses in the last couple of days, you wonder whether or not actually the sanctions are working and that Putin's people are having to do a, a flea market sale, a yard sale, in order to raise cash. So they were selling, selling, selling in order to raise cash. Or whether or not the uh, Republicans are trying to crash the economy so they can help Putin. I don't think there's a relationship there outside of the possibility of, of you know, a food crisis coming that, that is affecting the market. I think the big issue is that, you know, we've been juicing the market for years now and, and the Fed just pulled back in a huge way. I mean, a half point drop. I think that's where it's going. David, thank you for the call. Michael in Greenville, South Carolina. Hey, Michael, what's on your mind? Good day, Tom, and thank you, Joyce, for making me the unofficial president of her fan club. Okay. <laughs> the Joyce fan club, that's cool. So what's up? Yeah, but the elephant in the room, the, the reason why I believe that there are all of these uh, hate crimes and everything else is because of Barack Obama. Because a black man became president and it, and it triggered the white supremacists, is that what you mean? Bingo, yeah. bingo. Yeah. I, uh, well, that was, I, I mean, I the whole birther you, thing, that was Trump's entree into politics. Yeah, uh, I know that you watch Reed Zakaria. Mm -hmm. uh, Religiously. Year, years ago, uh, there was a, a scholar on with him and he predicted it exactly what was going to happen. Yeah. That there would be a massive it, white backlash to a black president. Exactly. Yeah. It's backlash to the extreme. Yeah. 
Yeah, I get it. I, I get it, Michael. I think you're absolutely right. And, uh, you know, but at the moment, it's water but, under the bridge. I, I, I have to chide you and everyone else in the media for never realizing this. Well, I've, I've pointed this out more than once. <laughs> they, they went nuts when Obama became president. That that was when that was when they they funded the whole Tea Party thing uh, to, to, exactly. to, to to try to take him down. That's when you know uh, uh, Trump went birther. That uh, it, it's it, it's like the entire Republican Party went insane, and it just yep. got worse and worse and worse. And now and then and then boom, and now what'd we, you get? Donald Trump. Now, now we have shooters in grocery stores. Yeah, well, we've we've had shooters, we've had racist shooters for a long, long time. You know, Tim McVeigh back in the '90s, when Bill Clinton was president, you know, blew up the Oklahoma uh, federal building because he wanted to start a race I, I war. I thought of that when when I was thinking of, about the, my thoughts, but uh, but because of Barack Obama, it just. No, it's not because of Barack Obama. It's in reaction to the presidency of Barack Obama. Barack Obama did not cause any of this. Barack Obama was president. These people's racism caused this. Let's be very clear in our language here, Michael. Michael, thank you for the call. We'll be right back with more of your calls. Well, and more of the news of the day. Allison Gill, in fact, is going to drop by on the other side of this break. Welcome back to our program. You know, we've been talking about the whole uh, Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade and the possibility that individual states are going to start, well, the certainty that individual states are going to start criminalizing abortion and criminalizing women who get them and, and people who help them and, and physicians and whatnot. But we haven't really talked much at all on this program or in the media in general, frankly, about American citizens uh, who are actually putting their lives on the line for other American citizens who don't have the luxury of moving to another state or even, you know, hopping on a plane to go to another state to get an abortion if they end up stuck in one of these states that makes it, that criminalizes abortion. And I think this is a big deal. Allison Gill is on the line with us. Uh, Allison is the host of Muller, she wrote, up at the podcast, and also the host of The Daily Beans, a woman-owned and operated progressive news podcast. Uh, Allison is also a Navy veteran with a Ph.D. in health administration. Uh, Muller, she wrote, .com and dailybeanspod.com are the websites. And uh, Muller, she wrote, or Daily Bean, Beans Pod are the Twitter handles. Uh, Allison, welcome to the program. Tell us about uh, your your experience the, in the military that led you to this the conclusion that this is really a big deal and America needs to be discussing it. Um, hey, Tom, thank you for for having me on. Uh, yeah, when when the uh, Alito decision uh, leaked, um, overturning Roe, uh, I was immediately transported back, and I think many people were in this country to, you know, uh, the time that they needed abortion care or um, if they needed it, when they needed it. And it, for me, it was when I was in the military, when I was in the Navy in 1995, um, and, and a little bit of a content warning here for, for your listeners, uh, I, was, I was drugged and I was raped, and that rape resulted in a pregnancy. And fortunately for me at the time, because Roe was in place, I could, in my spare time on the weekend, uh, walk off base to the local Planned Parenthood to seek abortion care and also get a counseling referral. Uh, but if Roe is overturned, and or even now, right today in Texas, uh, where where it's very difficult, if not impossible, to seek reproductive care. Uh, if you are on a military base, if you're an active duty service member and you become pregnant, uh, regardless of, of how it happens, it's not so simple to just walk out the gate uh, and, and seek that care. Um, you would probably need to travel, but in order to travel, uh, that's not very easy either. You need to have leave approved by six different supervisors all the way up oftentimes to the commander of the base. And you need to express why you need that leave. Uh, usually, leave is only granted for things like death in the immediate family. Um, and so you would have to put that all on paper 
And in my particular case, uh, when I went to report this rape, um, and 43%, by the way, of, of people in the military have reported uh, in 2018 that they had a very difficult time, a negative experience when they reported their rape. So it's there's really no safe place to report your rape because it is the chain of command that makes the decision whether or not to prosecute. And they don't want, uh, you know, to, to acknowledge that they've had sexual assault uh, on their command, on their unit. And so I was, when I went to report, I was, uh, to put it mildly, discouraged. Uh, somebody came in. First, they asked me all the uh, normal questions that people tend to get when they report a rape on a military base, which is whether I was drinking or if I was flirting with the person or if I was in a fight with my boyfriend. And then someone else came in and told me that if I had, if I filed a false report, I could be court-martialed, lose my school, lose my rate, lose my rank. I could be dishonorably discharged. I, they threatened to charge me with adultery because my rapist was married. Whoa. And so out of complete and total fear, I didn't say a word to anyone. Uh, and so without that safe space to report your rape, uh, this could be a situation where the government forces women uh, and people to carry pregnancy to term, uh, and in some cases, their rapist's baby. So it's it's very it 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 hit me very hard, uh, and I mean this impacts so many more people. But this this small slice, as you said, no one is talking about this. Yeah. Now, there, there's kind of two issues here. One is the, the, the reporting of rapes and things like that. There was the Kirsten Gillibrand has been all over this with the Military Justice Improvement Act, although I understand that a Democratic senator from Rhode Island kind of blew that up. Do, do I have that right? Or was it did he just move it and the Republicans blew it? What happened? Yeah, uh, you, you're correct. It, we had 67 uh, sponsors, 67 senators willing to vote for this bill. When can you ever get 67 enough to break senators? A filibuster. And more than enough, right? And and they so they brought it to the floor for unanimous consent, uh, which means you know you can just pass it without having to do a vote and a roll call. And that unanimous consent was blocked by Jack Reed of Rhode Island, and his reasoning was that he wanted it to go through his committee and be put into the National Defense Authorization Act. Um, there was um, a lot of pushback from Senators Kirsten Gillibrand, Joni Ernst, and, and many others, because they were afraid that it would be gutted. It would be, you know, a lot of the uh, provisions of the act would be removed. And that is exactly what happened. And so the Military Justice Improvement Act was was baked into the National Defense Authorization Act. And the main part, the whole point of removing the decision to prosecute assault on base taken out of the chain of command was left in. And so it, it we still don't have uh, a safe and secure place uh, to report assault and rape and sexual harassment in the military. That's insane. That's absolutely insane. Now, that, that, that issue in and of itself is, is terrible enough. Um, and, and I assume that uh, Gillibrand and others are going to try and revisit this? She has. Um, and uh, in, per her statement uh, on what happened to the, the Military Justice Improvement Act in the NDAA, uh, she has tried to bring that vote to the floor several times and been blocked right. each time. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. So is there also, which is very unfortunate, is there also a any legislation at all 
that would give service members access to abortion care in the event that they happen to be on base in a state that, that criminalizes it or, or doesn't allow it? Well, likely, like, no, not that I know of, and that would be unlikely because the Hyde Amendment prevents. Oh, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> Which is attached to every single military appropriations bill. Yes. And, uh, and so what I am calling for from the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, and from, from President Biden is to approve leave for travel for reproductive health care. Just, just that simple. Just make it very you know, uh, this is this would routinely be available to women who have been well, the, the leave women, should who, are, who, who have an unwanted pregnancy. Let's say this would not be limited to rape, I'm assuming. I, I, I would say no. In fact, it's it's absolutely inhumane and terrible that that people <clears throat> that people in general, but also people in the United States military would have to find workarounds. Uh, such as such as that to, to have yeah. leave approved to travel, uh, they can't pay. The military can't pay for that travel. Uh, again, Hyde Amendment issues, and we can you know talk about oh, you know trying to overturn the Hyde Amendment, but we can't get fifty senators to agree on much of anything. Um, right. So that's you know with with the filibuster in place. So it, it, we're now forcing uh, people to travel uh, to seek that care. Um, some states are even uh, looking to make it illegal to travel to seek reproductive health care, to seek abortion care. And of course, the federal government, you know, says 12th Amendment supersedes that. Uh, but it's it, to have to come up with these end runs around uh, this uh, taking stripping us of our rights is is yeah. is bonkers. It's, but they is. should be putting these things in place to to automatically grant leave for for health care travel. We're talking with Allison Gill, the host of Mueller. She wrote uh, the, the Mueller. She wrote podcast and the Daily Beans podcast. Mueller. She wrote dot com. Daily Beans pod dot com. And uh, Allison, we just have a minute or so left, but w one of the points that you made in your piece in the Washington Post titled Overturning Roe would be a disaster, would be disastrous for the U.S. military, was that even if women in the military try to get abortifacient drugs through the mail, and now, you know, telehealth is expanded and they're broadly available, um, I, I didn't realize how tightly the, the military monitors the mail. I mean, you know, this could be problematic as well. Yeah, uh, in some commands, and it depends on the command too. You know, like basic training is extremely strict. They open up your care packages that mom sends to make sure that she didn't send you, you know, cookies with special treats in them or anything. Um, but you know, the, when I was on uh, Naval Nuclear Power Training Command out of boot camp, they still, you know, would would inspect the mail randomly uh, to to make sure contraband wasn't coming in, right. uh, and they know where where it's coming from if. It's from a pharmaceutical company. They're going to want to know what's in there, um, yep. and for reasonable reasons, you know. No, uh, I get it. I totally get it. So, what what do you think is the solution to this, Allison? Uh, again, uh, they need to allow for those drugs to be mailed, for medicine to be mailed into the base, uh, and they need to uh, put in policy. And this is something that doesn't have to go through Congress. This can just be policy in the military that all abortion care related travel is going to need to be approved. And that and and, and if you're in a state, say you're in Texas and, you know, say you're at you know one of the military bases in Texas and you travel outside the state, to get an abortion, and then somebody in Texas learns about it and decides to sue you and everybody involved. Uh, I guess they can't sue you, but or the the woman who's getting the abortion. Um, what does the military do about that? I mean, shouldn't there be some kind of firewall here, something that protects women? There, there should be, and it should be a firewall akin to if you are born on a military base in England, you are it's United States territory, right? right. So that's federal territory. So that the you know the policy should be that you know that doesn't apply. Uh, you're not considered a resident of Texas. You're con you're considered a, an active duty service member, for example. Um, and so, I, that's what the workaround presumably would be for that, or for you know illegal travel out of a state that yeah. has banned it. Yeah. Supreme Court fixing to create a whole big mess for us all here. Allison Gill, the host of Mueller She Wrote podcast and the Daily Beans podcast, MullerSheWrote.com, DailyBeans.com, uh, Pod.com. And uh, her piece in the Washington Post, Overturning Roe Would Be Disastrous for the U.S. Military, is, is over there, too. Allison, thank you for dropping by. Thank you. Good talking with you. 
We're here in the place where smart people get their news. Back with more of the news of the day and your calls in just a moment. Dan in Oxford, Alabama. Hey, Dan, what's on your mind today? Good morning, Tom. Hello, um, sadly, sadly, as we all know, uh, right-wing extremists with an AR-15 walked into a grocery store in Buffalo, New York, and took some very good people off this earth because the only reason was they had black skin. Yep. Now, let me back up here to where I live here in Alabama. We've got elections here as well. Yeah, next week is your uh, primary, isn't it? Next Tuesday? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Every Everybody that's running, and I'm talking about campaign ads here, and mm -hmm. these are all Republican. Every single one of these folks are Republicans. Every single one of these people are pro-Trump, including the incumbent governor, Kay Ivey. I mean, they're all pro-Trump this, pro-Trump that, and they make sure that that gets out there to the population. They're all holding a gun in their hand, including a lady that's running for the Alabama Supreme Court. And part of her campaign ad is showing her firing an automatic pistol at a target. Wow. And they all say pro-gun. I mean, every single one of them's got a gun in their hand of some kind or another. And, you know, I'm thinking, you got a fire in this country going on in racial hatred and bigotry, and these people are pouring gasoline on that fire. Yeah, I agree. And, I, you know, I, I guess you can figure out I am not GOP by any stretch yeah. of the... Well, uh, you know, I remember uh, when there was a time when this kind of thing used to provoke outrage. Remember when Sarah Palin uh, tweeted that photo of the targeted uh, campaign areas around the country with the crosshairs, and one of them was Gabby Giffords, and then Gabby Giffords got shot in yeah. the head a week later? You know, there was all kinds yeah. of uproar about that. No more uproar anymore, <laughs> Dan. No, and I, you know, to be honest with you, I'm a former Marine, a Vietnam vet, and I, you know, I understand. I understand the Second Amendment. Uh, I, what I don't understand is why this country, well, I know why it's flooded with military assault weapons. They let the assault weapons ban die in Congress in 1996, which, which was an idiotic thing to do. Yep. But it was, also, it was also a planned thing to do by the Republicans to make sure their buddies in the NRA and the gun manufacturers made a fortune which they're doing. Unfortunately, it's cost them a lot of lives. Yeah, didn't, a didn't it lives. pass in 96 uh, under Clinton and then it got, uh, George W. Bush let it expire in 2006? Or am I yeah, remembering maybe wrong? That, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I don't think it would have passed uh, in 86 under Reagan and it was passed through reconciliation, so it only lasted 10 years. There is no rational explanation that anyone on this earth can give me for owning an AK-47 or an AR-15, especially if it's a fully automatic weapon. There is no way in the world you can convince me that someone needs that kind of gun. Yeah, unless they're planning on no starting way. a war or murdering a whole lot of people, which, you know, sadly is more and more of what's going on. Dan, thank you for the report from Alabama. It's good to hear from you, and I, I, I do appreciate it. it it's, it's, you know, it, this is where the Republican Party is at. They're the party. They have become the party, the anti-American party. They've, be they've become the party of take down America, to tear down this country. And, you know, if necessary, have a war in the process. Exposing the con in conservative. I'll be right back. The January 6th committee believes that they have evidence that directly contradicts Republican denials of reconnaissance tours. Georgia Congressman Barry Loudermilk, guy that, you know, basically nobody's ever heard of, he's, he appears to be the guy, one of the guys who was leading tours of insurrectionist wannabe murderers, people who wanted to murder the vice president and speaker of the House, through the Capitol on January 5th. He has denied it, but Benny Thompson, the chair of the Senate Select Committee, just sent an email to him saying, quote, based on our review of evidence in the Select Committee's possession, we believe you have information regarding a tour you led through parts of the Capitol complex on January 5th, 2021. 
He goes on to say, Republicans on the Committee on House Administration, of which you are a member, claim to have reviewed security footage from the days preceding January 6th and determined that there were no tours or groups with MAGA hats on. However, the Senate Select Committee's review of evidence directly contradicts that denial. And it was Mickey Sherrill, a Democrat from New Jersey, who originally uh, accused Republicans of this, number one. And number two, Charlie Sykes thinks that uh, he's a, a you know, conservative consultant. He used to be a consultant for the, for the Republican Party. And he's now left the Republicans. And he says the Republicans have a weak spot Democrats need to exploit, and that is domestic terrorism. They need to start linking Republicans to domestic terrorism and just pounding on that thing. And I completely agree. Hey, special thanks to Louise Hartman, Sean Taylor, Nate Atwell, Jamie Holly, Joyce the Hammer, Nance, Nigel Peacock, Sue Nethicott, Patrick Hoyt, Geraldine Halbert, Ron Hartenbaugh, Chase Spross, and the folks who run our uh, chat room over on YouTube. Thank you to you all. And thank you for listening and watching our program. Get out there, get active, tag your it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.